Hello, and welcome back to The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America, where each week we bring you a fresh and insightful interview with one of Hollywood's top directors, conducted by one of their peers. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode is the second in our annual series devoted to our popular Meet the Nominees feature film symposium. Now in its 27th year, the event is a roundtable discussion with the directors nominated for the Guild's Award for Outstanding Directorial Achievement in Feature Film. This year's nominees include Guillermo del Toro, the director of The Shape of Water, Greta Gerwig, the director of Lady Bird, Martin McDonough, the director of Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, Christopher Nolan, the director of Dunkirk, and Jordan Peele, the director of Get Out. Each of these talented directors were gathered on February 3rd at the DGA Theater in Los Angeles to discuss the craft of directing and the making of their films with moderator Jeremy Kagan. So please enjoy part two of our Meet the Nominees special and listen to the five nominees share their insights. Highlights include Martin McDonough discussing how he communicates with actors during the rehearsal process, Christopher Nolan on casting actors with a visual sense of empathy, and why Greta Gerwig believes the other side of boredom is where the good stuff is. The, let's talk about cast. Um, and I'm not talking about your leads, because obviously you have wonderful actors that, that, uh, that we well know, and I suspect asking them to do the part is where you are. But I'd like to talk about audition process, where you're casting people that you need to meet and what your process is. Um, I don't know if that happened with uh, Finn Whitehead or some of the, the boys in, in the piece who are at least new to so many of us, but what is your process when you're meeting an actor? Um, what do you do? How's it, how's it go? If I were an actor walking into your room to get the part of the moderator, what would it be like? What would you be saying? <laughs> well, you'd have it sewn up. <laughs> 27, 27 years. Uh, <laughs> On Don't Cook, it was a very different experience for us. We got to do it in a very old-fashioned way because we were looking for unknowns in the leads um, and people of the right age, people of the age that these soldiers really were when they were sent off to fight. So we were looking for 18 and 19-year-olds. So it was people who didn't have agents. It was, you know, Tom Glyn Carney dropped out of drama school to do the film, you know. So we were looking at thousands of people on tape and then hundreds of people in the room. And when in the room, talked about that. When you've decided, I like the, this person, I'd like to... We've worked with the same casting director for, for many years, John Papsidera, who's a terrific casting director. And he's... One of the things I love about John is he's very good to the actors. I think walking in and doing an audition is one of the most terrifying things I could imagine doing. And I, my heart goes out to all the actors who walk through that door. Um, but we have to get through massive numbers of people. And so John... Let's everybody know up front, you'll come and it'll be one read, five minutes, done, and then you're out. And that's how we do the first round, so I can see many, many people. And then we bring people back, we take a little more time over it, but we still try to be quick and efficient to see as many people as possible. And then as you start to hone in, in the case of Dunkirk, as we started to hone in on our key choices, we would bring them in in groups and have them read the scene together and then try different combinations of them, have them take different parts, look at that combination. And over a period of, of weeks, we, we gradually settled on the combination we like. 
So there weren't a lot of scenes that actually that happens. I mean, one of the scenes, I guess, is in the last boat that they're yeah. in, and that would be allow that. What made you decide on, I guess it's I mean, Whitehead, Fionn Whitehead? Fionn Whitehead. What, how did, what said to you, this is the actor for me? Well, in the case of Dunkirk, you're looking very specifically for a visual sense of empathy. You're looking for a performer who you can immediately care about and worry about. Because when you see him for the first time in the film and he's getting shot at and he's reacting to it, you have to understand immediately that this is not somebody who's gonna go out and win the war single-handedly. This is just a human being, a kid, that you need to care about. And so you're just looking for that openness, that quality that, that movie stars have that just will take the audience on whatever their emotional journey is. And it's not the same as naturalism or documentary realism. There has to be, great actors have this very mysterious quality of empathy that they, they draw the audience in with. And the choice on him? Sorry? Did, did he have that for you the minute you met him or did? Uh... Yeah, very much. I mean, I think, I think you often feel that the minute somebody great walks in, you, you feel that quality. It's then a question of, is it the right presence you know, is it, is, does it fit the part, essentially? And that's why it's so heartbreaking to watch actors audition, because, you know, 90% of it is before they even walk in the door in terms of what your preconception is about, you know, what, has, what they're having to fit in with uh, in order to get the part. Choosing the boys on the boat, um, Rylance's uh, son yeah. and uh, George, had, what was the process there? Were they challenging? Were you seeing repeatedly? What happened there? Very much the same process because we were looking really for characters <coughs> about the same age and, and Barry Keegan, uh, Barry Keoghan, sorry, I've been mispronouncing his name for years now. But <laughs> Barry Keoghan, uh, he looks younger than he is, which is a tremendous asset to to him and, and to us, so he could play a 16-year-old, even though he's a few years older. Um, but very much with this project, it was about uh, how do you feel even just looking, what's the, the presence of these people? They don't say a lot. They don't talk a lot about who they are or where they've come from or whatever. So it's really about how you feel about them almost, almost visually. What, are the, what do they get across in terms of, uh, in, the, in Barry's case, it was really a sense of, I think, naivety, you know? Mm. Mm, thank you. Jordan, if an actor's walking in, I don't know if all your, you had to audition anybody for any of the parts, I suspect. Maybe the group of uh, white people that come to the party, they may have all been people that you needed to, to, to audition. But what's your process? Uh, my, my process is uh, very much focused on the, the comfort of the actor. And, and uh, you know, there, there's, there's several things you need to find, figure out. What, uh, about an actor to know if they're the right, uh, right for the role. Um, you know, there's the there's their presence. There's there's how they look. If they're going to, uh, you know, feel right. But then of course there's um, how how you communicate with them. Do they respond to adjustments you make? Um, I'm, I'm, I, I, you know, having been um, an actor and going to so many of these awful, awful, uh, just brutal, uh, masochistic, sadomasochistic <laughs> events, um, it's very important to me to to engage in an actor in, in such a way that even if they don't get the role, they feel like they've they've been worth. This, this experience was worth something. 
and that we both uh, achieved something, even if it's, it was just in that room. How do you do it? Uh, I, I engage with them uh, very uh, directly. And I, uh, um, it's, part of it is about being present. I, uh, between, you know, I let them do it several, you know, I had the, the, the benefit in this film of, of you know, have several uh, auditions um, to be able to allow several auditions to go longer than they probably should have. <laughs> So, uh, you know, I would get up and uh, talk to them, let them do, do it many times, um, make adjustments. Sometimes even after I knew it was not the right person for the job, we'd still do it. And I'd be learning about the character. Um, I don't know if that is a guild violation. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, it's part of the process. <laughs> part of the process. You're, you're fine. But um, <laughs> writers guild, maybe, but Writer, not in. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it uh, you know, you, you, what, what I found for this movie was that, you know, every character has a, a duality at play, and so the most, the, the thing I was looking for um, out of every performer was that they possessed both sides of that duality, that. Uh, in the case of, say, Betty Gabriel, who played uh, Georgina again, you know, is can I get the the pleasant, disarming side? Can I also get the scaredless side? So did I'm, did, know, did she, by the way, come from an audition, or did you cast? She did. And what, do you remember that audition? I do. I do. Uh, I I I remember all of them. Um, and she came in, and in in that audition, I remember my my first. You know the first reaction to her, and I, I had seen a bit of tape, so the, it was it was sort of a second uh, round, um, as Chris was uh, uh, was talking about. Um, and I remember she has this quality where I was like, okay, that could be an old white lady in there. <laughs> you know, it's very you know it's like it's like this rare quality. It just <laughs> it, you know, and, and so that was like okay, this, this is exciting. And then she comes in. She's she is a. Uh, She's a very uh, brilliantly trained actor. Uh, I believe she went to Juilliard. She's also a dancer, so she has a very uh, um, movement-based and a very physical process, um, which I latched onto. Um, and, and so f part of it felt like a chore uh, choreography in that I was giving her uh, very physical energies to play and experiment with. In the audition itself? In, in the audition. Um, because by the way, those, the, you know, the characters of the, the, the housekeeper and the groundskeeper, the sort of post-op um, uh, characters in the movie were, are, are, are everything in this movie. If we don't, if we don't nail that, it's not, that, that's the thing, right? That's, those are, and, I don't know, in, in writing the move, the, 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 the screenplay, I don't know that I had the, I knew exactly what their quality would be. Um, at several points in the screenplay, I think it's, it, it sort of takes different shapes. At some point there's like, you know, it's as if there's a, a, a distant lobotomized effect. Mm -hmm. At other points, there's a Stepford Vian thing going on in, in the screenplay. But I also, I knew this couldn't be Stepford Wives. Right. This was a different thing. Um, 
So part was trying to f figure out this balance between uh, the, uh, the, 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 the presentation and the, the, the disarming first uh, glance at these people and then figuring out that what, how that dark side would play. And I believe in the, in the audition with Betty, you know, I, we hit this, that moment where, you know, it's the, sort of the first stage of me starting to dial up the crazy in that one moment and saying, you know, I knew at the, that point of the, uh, uh, of the movie, we, we needed the, the scariest scene uh, so far. And it was just a scene between two people. It was just this check-in. So I knew that this was, the performance was what was going to get us there. Um, and it was in that scene where um, I remember telling her, do it again, but say no more. Say no, no more times. Mm -hmm. Just to kind of get her into this idea of like, something needs to be off balance and, and wrong about the way this feels. And she did it again. She said, no, no, no. And, and I was like, okay, this is, we're, on, we're going somewhere cool. Give me no more, more, just more no's. Just whatever happens when you're in there, it's, it's crazy, it's creeping me out. It's, uh, and she did it again, and, and then you know, we did it a third time, and I was like, now just say no like way too many times. <laughs> and it got to this thing, and that, you know, of course, is like this, this moment that was not, it was not scripted. I think it was one, probably one to three no's in the script, but in that audition, I sort of figured out that we we figured out that it it needed that was where we were going to go off on our it's, scary it's moment. It's fascinating in a way that 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 does happen. That in an audition, not only are you discovering something about the, your script, of course, but you're discovering something about the character and potentially something about how you're actually going to make the scene. And you wouldn't have known it if an actor had not walked in and done that. Now, sometimes I know the situations, that's not the actor you cast, but you use the technology that you just learned <laughs> in that scene. But in this case, she was there. And, and there was... What, what, were there any parts that you found even more challenging for you in the audition process? Uh, the, the parts in the audition process that I felt challenged, uh, you know, it was, it was, it was a... I didn't find the challenge. I found uh, I was very engaged and, and very... Relieved, you know. I, I looked at the. This is my first film, my, my first my directorial debut. So this, the audition process was as much of an audition for me myself, working with actors. As and what did you was, learn about yourself? Uh, you know, I, I learned that I needed to emotionally connect with the uh, the character as much as I needed the uh, the. Uh, we, I'll take it. I'll, keep, keep I'll going. Take it. No, I, I, I needed to experience the emotion as much as the performer did, and and it was, you know, many many times in the the audition process, and uh, or several times in the audition process, many times in the actual film, in working with the actor, I would get to this point of crying for for the emotion that I was and. It was about trying to figure out how to articulate what's going on, and I would have a catharsis sort of with the actor in the moment of what's actually going on here. Um, there's so much darkness in this in this film, and I, I I came about this project in a very mischievous way. You know, it was about 
It was about being provocative and doing what you're not supposed to do and, uh, and scaring the shit out of people. And when I got in, the farther I got into it, the more of the reality of what the film was about hit me in several stages. And you realize what, you've, what I've been <coughs> neglecting uh, in terms of the emotions and, and the, the, what the victims of racial violence or the victims of you know, a, a self-imposed psychological uh, chamber that, for instance, you know, Chris puts himself through. Um, even connecting to the characters of, you know, the crazy Rose and... and so, to some degree, what I'm, what I'm hearing is you became these people as well as them becoming them. Absolutely. And you didn't know that was going to happen. No, no. I, I didn't know. And, and, and it wasn't... It, 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 it feels like it correlated with the, the performance that we needed. So when... If the, if the performance wasn't getting there, it was because I wasn't getting there in, in how I was dealing with the actor. Okay. And so that's why we would have to kind of take these walks and talk. And, you know, we did this movie in like 23 days. It was like, we had no time, but the whole illusion that I like to present to actors is, we have all the time in the world. To get, the, to get this right, and none, none of this other, it may, may, means anything if we don't get this moment right, so right. let's take a walk. Well spoken, well spoken. Greta, um, you've been in that situation too, mm -hmm. of being auditioned. So what's your process, particularly uh, for, let's say, the smaller role, if you will, that, that sure. someone where you want to meet, how do you go about your casting process? Well, I, I yeah, similarly to Jordan, I, I've been in a lot of aud audition situations which are just just dreadful. And by the way, why are they dreadful? Oh, they say, well, you better be a good actor if you wore overalls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that happens to me. Um, um, Warning to every actor in the house, never wear overalls. <laughs> yeah, don't wear overalls. Um, <laughs> I think I said, you betcha. <laughs> um, no, I have this, like, I mean, for me, audi like, auditioning actors, I'm so sympathetic to where they are. I have the same thing. I, I would spend a long time with people. And, um, and I think, you know, I, I think in, 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 with some actors, it was... It was um, you know, they they sort of said, yeah, let's let's like, do the. I, I I feel like when you're auditioning all the time, um, and it becomes a way. Hopefully, the good experience of experiences of of auditioning is you get to you get to act that day, and that's something you don't get to do uh, all the time. And so I try to make it into an experience where they get to act that day, and they get to and we get to work on something, and we get to see what it is, so that when they leave. Um, it feels like they got to do something and be part of something creative. Um, and so I had a casting directors in, in New York and Los Angeles. I had um, uh, these two casting directors who worked mostly at the, in theater, at the public theater, Heidi and Jordan. They'd actually never cast a movie before um, that th we worked together because I go to the theater all the time in New York. I love, I love going to plays and... Um, I was interested in trying to, as much as possible, fill it with theater actors. Mm -hmm. um, I had a sense of that. And then, um, because we were shooting mostly in California, I had Alison Jones as my casting director out here, and she's, she's incredible. Uh, 
at, at, at she's got amazing taste and 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 when she likes an actor it's always it's always right on um but so a lot of the cast I'd I'd worked on collecting who who these people were in New York and so and I cast them early and I part of casting them early was I wanted I wanted these opportunities to get every, everybody together to get them to meet to get them to exchange numbers to be connected to each other because I think uh, so much of acting work it's like laying down sediment and it's your unconscious works on it a lot and I think of course I like rehearsal but I also think there's a way in which these these things grow um, uh, invisibly so I tried to cast as much as possible early and then with uh, parts that were coming in for a day or two I'm I think that's the hardest thing to do as an actor. I think it's the hardest thing to audition for. I think it's the hardest thing to come onto a set and do because you're stepping into a place where everybody knows each other. They all, they're all, they've been working together for you know weeks, and and you have to inhabit a whole person and make this reality in a couple of days or a day. And so that's part of the reason I. One of the things I did on set was sort of having, I had everybody wear name tags, including myself, for, especially for the day, people who came in for a day or two days, because it's too many names to get to know. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I... If an actor's coming in yeah, and for one of these yeah. parts, are you working with them as an actor? Do you read with them? Are you, where are you in the process? And what do you ask them to do? Um, yeah, I will have them... I mean, for the smaller parts, I I prefer not to read with them because um, it's I, I feel like that I'm a bad scene partner when I'm reading with them because I will um, I'm looking at them uh, I'm not being I'm not playing off of them. What I like about Allison is that she's a great scene partner. I think for me, having a casting director who's a great scene partner is invaluable because it allows the actor to play with them and to build something. And I think um, for particularly for roles that don't have lots of lines or, or I don't have a run of things, sometimes I'll, I'll write scenes that don't exist and say, read this. Um, because, because I'm not, it's not about oh, they said those two lines exactly correctly. It's about who this person is. So I'll have them, do, yeah. And, and I, I actually like, um, I like giving, I like giving them the scenes like that and say, just go out in the, the lobby and come back in and read the scene that you've never read before because it takes off the pressure of, um, that they have to have it set it doesn't make it a performance. They're not performing it for me. This is not what they worked up over a week of agonizing in their apartment, which I comp I know I know what that is. Um, I don't. I, I like to to. See, I just want to see them work. I just want to see their minds work. I want to see their sort of creativity work. And I think um, the other thing that it relieves for them is the need to uh, either feel like they're. Uh, off book completely or approximate it because I don't like it. I don't like approximation. I like, and, and if they've just got the scene, they don't feel self-conscious about looking down and saying, oh, th this is the word. Um, I, th that never bothers me. And I like kind of creating an atmosphere where it's, it's a workshop type of atmosphere. And if you're going to give an adjustment to an actor yeah. who's done that, what yeah. kind of adjustments will you do in the casting scene itself? In the casting scene itself? Or a um, casting session, obviously. 
I mean, it's... Or will you? Yeah, 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 I will. I'll give specific things. I mean, it it's honestly depends on what it is. I think it's usually about redirecting their attention. If they're not... Um, if it feels like they're they're doing it in some way that's not connecting, it's it's like instead of um, you don't want to give like I mean you can give faster slower but that's usually not useful <coughs> like um, um, there's things like in the goal in this scene is make yourself understood or something like that like like be very clear what is is the person that you're talking to understanding what you're saying or are they like change their objective, like okay. redirect their objective, because then you get to see their wheels turn about how do they do that. You're not giving them the results. You're giving them like... An intention. This is, this is the intention of this. And then, and then you get to see they can come at it from different ways. And then when usually it's an actor you end up casting is you, you start feeling it all go together. Like then they'll do something that'll give you another idea. But like, for example, Mr. one of the teachers, Mr. Bruno, who... Right. Um, the character of Julie has a crush on and the audience knows that and he doesn't know it and it's this sort of secret secret world that, and, and it's not even clear that Lady Bird knows it and I always like that in movies when, when uh, the main character doesn't know something that the audience knows it's a nice feeling um, uh, but I, I auditioned a ton of people for that because I was like, it has to be very clear. He is not interested in her, but you could see how she would mistake it. You just like her, but you're not creepy, but, um, but you have this way about you. And I, I felt like I would talk a lot in metaphor. Like when I was auditioning people, I was like, you're... You're the coolest guy because you're the youngish teacher at an all-girls school, so you know all your jokes land. So say it like you know they land. And like, but 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 you're not in the world a person whose jokes land. Um, but like those kinds of detailed um, directions. And I find that mostly it gets people's juices. They're like, no, I know that. I know exactly what that is. And then they'll do it in this way that embodies all those subtleties. And um, yeah, I, I feel like I end up talking more like that, like objectives and kind of metaphors of who Got these it. people are. Was it the part of Julie someone that you knew or did she come in? Uh, no, I didn't. Uh, Beanie Feldstein auditioned for me. Um, she, she, Do you remember her, audi her audition? Yeah, I remember she said, um, I, I, she walked in. I felt like I knew right away. I, I, I had that like kind of, she was just right away. She was so... Uh, perfect. She, the way she dressed herself. I mean, she was. She knew what it was too. She felt she was perfect. I mean, she later told me she was like, "If I don't get this, I don't know." Like, I. She had a very strong sense of it. Um, and I remember uh, when we were. I mean, every scene was kind of exactly right. I, I, I didn't, I never, it, it was just, it was just And you there. knew right away, as you, as you, Chris, you mentioned, yeah. and, and many times it's been mentioned, that you almost know instantaneously. Now you learn more. Yeah. And sometimes you learn that it's an affirmation of even more, and sometimes maybe it's yes, but not right for this role. Yeah. I mean, I think what I look for, too, is like actors who feel like they have, uh, mm, and that's why I think I avoid the auditions that feel like performances, because I don't want to see 
all you've got. I want to see the beginning of what it will be. Um, because if you can give me all you've got right now, I don't, it's not as interesting to me as like, it's a, it's a sketch. It's a, it's an opening. It's an opening gambit for what this relationship will be. Mm. And, um, yeah, Beanie Feldstein was, uh, right away, just, just right away. And she said to me, we, we were reading, I had to read this scene with, uh, that happens where at the at the after prom at the bridge and she's talking about her um summer plans her yeah her summer plans and her dad who showed up and and what that is and i remember saying like um i remember saying to her it's um it's the kind of conversation you have you don't even need to be looking at each other because you're tired you've been up all night and um it's that intimacy where you you, you don't you, you definitely don't need to make eye contact the whole time and and you can keep your voice lazy like keep your voice lazy and she said oh it's like my best friend and I we call it our pillow talk and I was like yeah it's just that it's exactly that and she said it's like when you're drifting off and that feeling of I'll tell you something because it's um because we're so tired and it's and it's been a whole night that's all right. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Guillermo, meeting an actor for the first time, what's your process? You know, I, in, this, in the case of Shape of Water, I wrote the parts for most of them. Uh, I, I mean, I knew them, either even the small parts. I find that uh, <clears throat> the work we do is symphonic, and mm -hmm. one terrible note is one terrible note in the symphony. It doesn't matter if it's a part with three lines. Mm -hmm. It can actually ruin the movie the experience of the movie. And uh, <clears throat> I think that uh, having worked in Toronto for now almost seven years consecutive, I, I knew most everybody, and it was hard to find somebody new. Uh, but for those that I knew, I would write uh, even for the small parts. Uh, I was so, interested in, in uh, the, the part of the wife of, uh, of yeah. um, uh, Michael Shannon's wife. Yeah. Was she an actress you'd worked with before? Yeah. She actually had read for the main part of the series, The Strain, and she had gotten it, but she couldn't get out of her contract. And I said, no to self. But the, the, the thing is, um, when doing that, I wrote it for Sally, I wrote it for Shannon, I wrote it for Octavia, Doug Jones, and so forth. And, um, you know, I, I watch everything they do, mm -hmm. even the small parts, like with Sally, the key for me was a movie called Submarine. Which, in which she plays a secondary character, but she's a character I was the most interested in. And uh, what I do is mostly I cast the eyes. I cast the eyes because we spend most of the time in a movie seeing a character see, see each other, see a thing. So for me, 90%, if you, if you align the eyes of Octavia Spencer, Sally Hawkins, Richard Jenkins, and Michael Shannon, you have right there. You have a symphony of notes, completely different ways of looking at the world. And to me, to put these eyes looking at these eyes is already interesting. And I start with that. And the second thing I look for, even in the auditions, uh, is uh, listening. Because the misconception that exists somehow is that a, a great actor del delivers great lines. But a great actor listens to great lines and looks at great acting, and is there. And, and uh, 
And, you know, I've been doing this for now 25 years. And when I go through the process, the first few times I auditioned, I only <coughs> wanted to make tea for them and comfort them. <laughs> and, and, be, and I find that um, being brief but there is the best way for me to audition, even for a small part, uh, meaning be very present. If it's if 90% of the audition is is done in the first five seconds of walking in the room, that's true. And if that is so, try to say, well, what am I going to try? And I, and I ask the actor, what would you like to try with this? If if he seems or she seems wrong, I say, what would you like to try with this? Uh, how do you instead of looking for a specificity because the person walking in is wrong, I'm not going to direct them to be right. So I might as well try to be surprised. So I say, what would you like to try with this in? And sometimes they reveal, sometimes like or, not ordering from a catalog, but asking a, a, a fabric vendor, show me your finest silk. And they can try, and then sometimes it surprises you. In, have you changed in the process of, of casting for yourself? Uh, through the years? Yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. I think that, uh, again, uh, I think be brief. Right. The instructions need to be very, very concise and useful. Will you redirect in a uh, in an audition scene if someone comes in and they're, they're reading for you? Will you give them, and you like what they did, what will you do next? Well, what I, what I think is beautiful, the, the, the way Greta put it, is if I am intrigued, if there's some, if there's some beginnings there, and, and you know it right away, then then you say, what do I feel? Like it's an analysis of you as much as the actor. Mm -hmm. A really great actor can be really wrong for a part. So it's not about their ability, it's their suitability to what you're trying. So what you say is, is you, you analyze what you want out of a part. What do you need? Because it's, it's, it's symphonic, it's, it's a note. And, and sometimes that you may redirect and reaccommodate. And, and I've had actors, what happens is, for example, in this movie, one of the actors, the, guy, the pipe ender, uh, is, a guy, is the guy that was uh, the reader for the casting office in Canada. And every time he would read, I would say, this guy's really good. <laughs> <laughs> the other 30 actors didn't get the part, but he's really good. And I, and, and, and I you know, we, over seven years, I, I read with him for 20 projects, 20 episodes of TV, five movies, whatever. And I kept thinking, you know, I, I ended up saying, I wrote the part for you. That's great. <laughs> was, was there any role, because you said you wrote almost all these roles for actors you knew, was there any role where it was still a little more amorphous for you? And I'm not sure. Well, there, there, is, a, there is a particular shot that was very delicate for me. It's a single shot uh, in the Cadillac dealership. Yeah. And it was a single shot of a vendor that takes Michael Shannon from not wanting to buy a car to wanting to buy a car. And it's a single shot on a dolly on a dance floor. And uh, I needed a guy that, that could sell. And, and uh, I, I knew this actor. He had done a part on the strain. And uh, I, it was, he was not particularly suited for that part on the strain. But for this one, I thought, maybe. And he surprised me by coming in. And he was just absolutely convincing beyond what I thought he would be. And, and the, the reason is he was not trying to sell. He was not trying to do what, what Greta said beautifully. She, he was not giving me his all. He was selling. It was the 20th time he had given that speech to a, 
a person in that floor. But he had the chops. So he, he, he was hitting the, the, like there's a moment where Shannon says, I'm just looking and he says, I'm just talking. <laughs> and, and that, 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 and I'm just talking. So that, 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 that little exchange, nobody else nailed. That was the point of inflection. And, and he, he nailed it in your audition. He nailed it, he nailed it on the audition. And, and from then on, it was, I mean, it was, since it was a single Have you thing. all been in the position, I want to hear, this is Martin, but where you actually said in an audition, you've got the part before oh, yeah. the audition's over? Oh, yeah. Yeah. A little Rel Howery got it. Uh, uh, See, so he came in to read for you? He came in to read. The character, he, he played Rod in the film. Yes, he did. And uh, <laughs> his, uh, it, th th this was one where he left. I actually ran out after him to tell him he got the role. Mm. Um, because he was that, was, that was the one where I didn't, I, it was as if the character just came in and existed. That was exactly what, who I was, what I was picturing, I, I, although I didn't know it. But he, he came in, his audition was pretty rough around the edges. He didn't have, you know, he kept stopping, being like, ah, I, I'm sorry, this is, uh, I'm, you know. And it was like, don't even worry, man. <laughs> You're it. <laughs> that that happened to me in in uh, a, a movie I did called Devil's Backbone. Mm -hmm. uh, the main the main actor, the main kid, came in to read for an extra. He came in to read for the group of kids that are in the background, and I saw his eyes, and I said, uh, "Can you would you read this line?" And he read the line, and he said, "Well, now tell me the same thing your way." Talk to me about it, and he talked to me about it. And before he left the room, he says, you're the main character. Which, he said, cool. <laughs> it's not like they go, oh, but didn't expect it, so didn't expect no, he it. He said, oh, main character, extra, I got something. <laughs> Martin, you, yeah, come, uh, you come from the theater, so you know what the process is in auditioning for theater. Um, is it different, and how does it go for you? Uh, no, it's exactly the same, and it's very similar to what Greta and Chris was saying, I think you always hope, if you care about actors especially, even as, you know, from the playwright side, you really hope that everyone who comes in is going to get the part, is going to do well, and um, nothing you're going to do is going to screw up their process. Um, at the same time, sometimes as soon as someone comes in, you just don't feel they're right and they'll probably never get there. But um, you, you, you I think if you've got any sort of humanity, you want to do it two or three times, and 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 you do learn little things, and uh, and it and it does. It's probably selfish, but it does help you kind of focus down on what it is they're doing that isn't quite right, but what you do need uh, in the. Scene. And if you're redirecting, an actor's come in, and and you're asking him or her to do it a couple more times. What's the redirect? What's the kind of language that you might be using? Um, well, it's usually because that process is so short and quick. Uh, you, it's usually about them maybe having taken a, a completely wrong choice about about the person. So so the only adjustment is to sort of. Uh, convey maybe where you were thinking that character was when you were writing them, or, or you know, if they were an angrier or, or a gentler type of person, and and will go, you go use those kinds of adjectives with them? Um, or yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, I mean, it's basically being open to 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 even if that's a wrong way of doing it as a director, being open to that and trying to find the the right words and, and, and the process for, for, for direction. In, in terms of your 
process on the movie, what were the more challenging roles that you found where you were auditioning people? Um, sure, well, similar to Guillermo, like two of the parts were written, I mean, Sam Rockwell's and Francis's parts were written for them. And I think about six or seven of the actors, the other actors involved that I've either worked with before or I really wanted to work with, like John Hawkes mm -hmm. and Peter Dinklage and uh, Caleb Landry Jones. Um, so, so most of the casting for Free Billboards was, was in the much smaller, smaller roles. Um, Lucas Hedges uh, hadn't hadn't seen him in Manchester. Hadn't come out at that point. Um, or your movie? I was seeing yeah. things similar here. We have Deers in two movies. We have <laughs> Loops in two movies, and Lucas Hodges in two. And actually, uh, and, and Nick Nick uh, Searcy in two movies. So there are commonalities yeah. here. Yeah. But okay. So from who? <laughs> so, but go, but uh, speak to, 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 to how you would go on the, which one was sort of the challenges? Um, I think the daughter, uh, Francis's daughter, that was like a very tricky uh, character and scene because it's a one scene, uh, uh, there's only one scene in, in the movie and, and uh, it was a character that you didn't want to, you know, paint as this, you know, perfect, uh, perfect victim almost, you know, it had to be some, someone who's just a completely real, uh, um, you know, teenager who fights with her mom all the time. And we, we saw Catherine, who's, who's in the film, and, uh, and she was great, but I felt like there was a couple of other colors that um, I needed to see. Um, and- What'd you feel, at least if you remember, that she wasn't showing you at that moment? Um, uh, I think it was, I think she nailed completely the anger. And I guess uh, I was just wondering if, if there were, could, was another a hint of something else to 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 to, to find. But uh, strangely, when I when I saw a couple of other actors who were all that, who were all the softness and, and the light, I kind of went back and had a look at Catherine again. She came in again, and uh, and I think I just kind of hinted that there could be a touch of that, and she showed that brilliantly too. So, uh, but also comedy, you know, the, even in a scene as sort of dark and angry as that, uh, it needed a, a touch of, of, of comedic timing too. Um, and Catherine was brilliant at that. Any other parts that also were? were... Well, in terms of um, you know, offering a part to someone straight away, Sandy Martin, who played uh, Sam Rockwell's mom in the film, oh, yeah. she had a small part in Seven Psychopaths that didn't make it, but she was brilliant in that. So I, I called her back uh, for this. And I felt like an idiot for even having her audition because at the you know end of like one line reading she she she'd nailed it and uh, and I was able to offer it to Sandy there. I think she's amazing. Did you tell her in the room? Yeah. You yeah. Know, so there we have another example of it. Yeah. Talk about rehearsal process, um, particularly because that's something you know well. Yeah. What about <laughs> rehearsal process for all of you? And I'm interested in seeing how you what you do in rehearsal process, but. Talk about yours. I, I, I like trying to do as much of it as possible. Um, on this, we probably didn't get quite as much because Francis was quite determined uh, that she wouldn't rehearse with any of the cops in the film. So she wouldn't, even though she loves Woody and Sam, uh, she didn't want to become friendly with them before the... Uh, uh, shooting started, and as an idiot, I was thinking, um, "Couldn't we just do a little bit, just to, <laughs> just to make me relieved being in the room with three uh, movie stars?" Um, but uh, but she was right, and and it shows in the film that uh, that was unnecessary. But she she was open to like the family dynamic, so we had a, a, a couple of weekends with 
Francis and Lucas and Catherine and John Hawkes as well. Uh, we rehearsed that. And what would you do in the rehearsals? What's the, what's the rehearsal process? Um, basically, just let them go at it. Let, let them go at the scene a couple of times. Um, and then, uh, well, with Francis, I went around to her place like months before. She had the, the script like a year before uh, we made the film. And we'd email over the course of that year. But maybe at the early prep, we, I went around and we just read it. Uh, sitting across from each other. Mm. And I think it's in those times where uh, if I feel it's the most useful for me because I, as, as the writer, it's almost more as, as the writer than anything, I can convey exactly why every scene is there, every line is in there. And, and even though that doesn't mean it has to be, that has to, the scene has to convey that emotion, at least that discussion is opened up. At least they know where you're coming from and, and the roots that we can go from that place. Um, same with Sam, you know, we've, we've got a history, we did a play together before. When, and, you, were, uh, when you were sitting down and reading one-on-one -on -one, uh, with Frances, were there moments, because it's such a specific character that she creates, I don't know if she'd already gotten there when you were doing that work, were there moments where she would ask or she would do and you would say, this could go this way? How would you, how, what, what's the kind of language again that you would be in rehearsal with? Um, uh, well, we, it, it was, strangely, it was the, the comedy was, was one, of the, one of the things we had kind of conflicts about, even in that very early uh, reading. Um, I, I was pushing to, I'm always, pushing to keep every single line in. Um, but, uh, but, and she was, the, 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 the lines that she was finding uncomfortable for the character were the comedic ones. Mm -hmm. um, uh, that said, we, we kept everything in, but I think there was, a, there was a little dance that we needed to make to find out what that was all about. Um, and uh, I, I don't know, I, and it, was, it wasn't quite, comfortable, but it was okay, and it, and it never quite became comfortable. And I, but I think that's what's still in the film, mm -hmm. is that she is witty and she is funny, but she's not ever displaying it. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's there, and it's uncomfortable, un uncomfortably behind that fierceness, I guess. Um, and that's what we ended up with. But in the, in the rehearsal or in the talk, we, we, we never f actually found that solution or that compromise, oh. but that was fine. Um, then in terms of, but in terms of rehearsing, it's just like let them go at it, suggesting, you know, other places that, that where, where a character could be um, and gentler or angrier or, or, but it's always about finding a, a truth. So if anyone's ever playing it actually for a, a straight laugh, uh, even in rehearsals, it, it, it's more about letting them know that it's, it's just about finding the truth and letting me and the DP and, 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 and the editor worry about comedy. And who's in the rehearsal room? Um, it's just me and them. Right. And yeah. how long will you do a rehearsal? Will it be a couple hours? What will be uh, yeah, a couple, couple of hours is, is usually. I mean, on, on In Bruges, uh, there was a whole different kettle of fish. We, uh, me and Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson were in a, a room for like two weeks in Bruges, just, just reading it over and over again. And we all thought that that would kind of kill it, uh, uh, but it, but somehow, because they're sort of playing an old married couple in that film, it kind of that's what 
grew out of that room. And one of the things that happens in rehearsal particularly, and I, th I suspect rather this may have been part of the issue, issues of dealing with it is, particularly if there's prior circumstances, there's a family, there's a relationship that exists way prior to whatever's happening here. Um, obviously there's a family in, in, in your movie. Was that one of the issues that came up when you were working with uh, Lucas? Um, uh, yeah, partly. Uh, certainly, I think between Francis and, and Lucas and Catherine, that needed to be like an instant, uh, instant family. With John Hawkes, it was a little different because you know he's on the outside and he's been a uh, an asshole anyway, so it didn't matter if that closeness was there. But I think especially between um, Francis and Lucas. And what did uh, you do to do that, or what did you do to create, or what just, did they do? Just time. It's almost just about time. Uh, just about spending those two hours every couple of weekends together. But we all, we filmed in, in Asheville and we're all staying in the same, same town. So we'd see each other in the evenings as well. And I think that's as much a, a part of rehearsals as, as anything else, just establishing that cam camaraderie and that ease, you know, when you get on set. I mean, that's part of what I think rehearsals are, is that having the actors feel completely com comfortable with you and how you work so that when, when they come in, you know, they're not acting in front of strangers. And when uh, there's there's obviously two sets of rehearsals. There's a rehearsal that you may have done beforehand if you've had that, and then and there's today, this morning, we're about to do this shoot. What are we, how are we handling that? What, what's the first thing you do on set in terms of, and do you quote, rehearse a scene? And how does that work? Well, I find that like the pre-rehearsal, the rehearsal before the film starts, um, solves a lot of those issues. So once you get, get on, on set, everyone, I've always found, uh, because of that process, they know what the character's about and they know what the scene's about. So it's just about blocking it and jumping straight into it. Um, so that, that early rehearsal, I think, saves an awful lot of time. Um, so it bonds you together, but it, 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 it means that I think the actors uh, know exactly where they're going when they turn. And having written these characters, and this is true for all of you, when you're talking to an actor, and particularly in this, let's say, the, the first pre-rehearsal -pre time, about character, what language are you using? I mean, these are people that live in every one of you. You've created them, but now you're asking these performers to you know, recreate them. What are, you, what are you saying to them about character? If for, for me, it's just about conveying the place I was in when I wrote that person and those lines, and then seeing where, where they can take that, you know, with, with how they've lived their lives and how they've have acted before. Um, so it's, 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 there's, I try to, uh, I try to be as open, I'm not really about, open about line changes, but in the, uh, the deliver, in the, uh, <coughs> that's the writer talking, but in the delivery, uh, you know, there, there's a hundred ways a scene can go mm -hmm. with the lines that are, that are there. So you're open to that? To, to the way the scene, yeah. Got it, got it, got it. <laughs> but I'm still interesting because when you said, the character, you know, as you wrote, when you wrote it, where you were, but is it where you were or where the character that you were writing was when you were writing? It's where the character was, actually. Yeah, yeah. It's all about that person. And then, like, I, I usually leave a script for, like, five or six years before making it. So, so it's not just where they were then. It's how I've heard those scenes over and over in, in my head in that in, in that intervening period. But then the trick is not to get tied up and, and caught in that being the only way to go. I think you need uh, an openness about that. But I think if you love actors and you, 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 you respect that process, uh, there's, there's never been a, an issue so far. Okay. 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 Yeah, rehearsal? Uh, to me, it starts table work, obviously. And uh, the, one of the things I generate for each of the actors 
is a biography, which is between four and eight pages long. And eight, four and eight pages long, from birth to the beginning of the movie. I, I annotate what they eat, what they drink, what they don't drink, what they listen to, what books have they read, uh, zodiac sign, the parents' history, everything. And then I give it to them, and I say, do what you want. I mean, we'll talk about it and if you want to on table work. I'll, I'll give you uh, Michael Stuhlberg. Took it as if it was the Bible. He, his biography was he was from Minsk. So he learned his Russian lines with a Minsk accent. Uh, Richard Jenkins said, this is great, but I'm not going to use it. <laughs> and, 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 and now every time we go to an award ceremony and he doesn't win, I say, if you only had read the book. <laughs> but but, but what, we, what, what you do with that is you say, this is my starter of, of how I internalize the character. Now let's see what we do together. Uh, that's a great beginning. What, uh, what I do is, uh, again, the instinct to segregate uh, factions of the actors, sometimes it works. I did it with Michael Shannon on Shape of Water. I said, you and I have meetings separate. You never rehearse with the group because the loneliest character in the film is him. And I wanted him to be alone. And not just for effect of him being imposing, but because his essence needed to feel sad and alone. At the end of the day, as an antagonist, I wanted him to be alone. Uh, the, the one thing happened precisely in the scene that we just saw. Uh, that's the scene that Richard and Sally took to heart to rehearse not only with everyone, but on their own, because the rhythm at which she signs and he repeats, you know, the idea for me was to create a triple monologue. Her emotions, which are beyond the words, the words themselves, which when repeated, tell you what she's thinking, but then the introspection of Richard reacting to how it illuminates his own condition about love. That was the idea. They went and rehearsed, rehearsed. They got it to a T. We started doing the takes, and it was completely mechanical. I felt this is beautiful, but it's beautiful in a really preconceived way. Mm. And the key to that was um, Richard is an actor that is very present. He's always in need to be immediate. He doesn't pre-plan. We can block, and, and I'll tell you what the process is for me on the blocking. But I said to Sally, hit him really hard. When he looks at his watch, if he, if he looks at his watch, because you never know, hit him really hard on the hand. And that's what the two takes that we got that is what is in the movie. Because he, he really said, you, you hit me. You, you, <laughs> you never hit me before, you know? And, and that, that was not one of the lines. No, 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 that was not on the, that was not on the, <laughs> nor, nor was it planned in the rehearsal. I, I said to her, you really have to hurt him, you know, bam. And, and that woke, woke the scene up. Uh, I think that in, what I do in the morning is I arrive uh, an hour and a half before anyone. Uh, I do it because I used to, when I started, I used to see the still photography, and I would say, this guy got a better angle than I, you know? <laughs> and, and so I arrive early, and I walk the set. I already storyboarded. I already storyboarded, but I arrive, and I walk the set. I sit down. I bring a little ladder, I go up, I look around. Then <clears throat> you propose the blocking with the actors and the cameraman. 
and the cinematographer, and you say, this is what I'm thinking as a playground. You adjust. If there's any good ideas, you adjust, you change. I reboard really quick, and then we go at it, and it, it becomes a living thing. But the rehearsal before is important more than anything for comfort, for knowing. For me, the key is seeing what the actor says needs, he or she needs, and me seeing what they really need. Because sometimes an actor will say, uh, you know, I, I, I need direction, and they don't, and they don't really want it, or the opposite. Leave me alone for three takes, and then in the process you find out that you really need to get in there in the second take, or, or vice versa. You, you say, you can only say faster, slower, and let them be alive and give you, you know, each of them needs. So for me, rehearsal is not so much running the lines or finding the great, but finding the dynamic between you and the actors. What, do they need a friend? Do they need a confidant? Do they, do they need an enemy? Do they need a father figure they can love or hate? And then you become that and you use it. Are you okay playing those roles? Yes, I am. Yeah, one, are some, no, I'm serious. That's a variety of roles. Are some of you more comfortable with? You know, I'm Mexican. I, I'm, I'm pretty versatile. I, I was trying to understand what that meant. I'm, I'm, I'm really good at, at comforting, and I'm really good at confrontation. <laughs> Whatever is needed. I, I think that, uh, that obviously a set is a living thing. With every, everybody is a little society in which you know, there's that beautiful saying, you know, in every movie there is one asshole at least. And if you haven't found it by the fifth day, it's you. <laughs> that is new for me. <laughs> it's, 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 something, it's something I found out. <laughs> I go, oh, I'm the impossible one on this. <laughs> but, you know, so you do the same for the crew, you do the same for, you know, but you, you, you play different roles. I got it. I got it. Greta, for you, rehearsal, you also come from traditions of rehearsal. Yeah. How did you do it on this particular movie? Yeah, I like uh, I like rehearsal. I like rehearsal not um, so much the. Uh, again, I don't want to. I don't. I don't want to feel like we're setting it uh, in stone or anything like that. But just opening up avenues and 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 about that the thing of the dynamic of of feeling what the dynamic between these people are, and I think as actors, I mean, I think your your greatest fear is always that you're. It's going to be it's going to be terrible and it's going to be wrong and you're going to be on set and there's going to be all these people and equipment and you're it's wrong and that that's a terrifying feeling and so what I try to create in rehearsal time is this space of um, of of play and safety and investigation so that it doesn't feel like they're in front of the firing squad once the camera goes on and I I mean I had one of my actresses who's so so. Great, Laurie Metcalf, who plays um, Marion, she's she told me really early in the rehearsal process. She mostly does theater. She does television, but she mostly does theater. And she said, "I'm terrified of the camera." And she said, I, "I'm it's it's scary for me. I I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure what my relationship with it, with it is." And Sersh is the opposite. She'd just done a play on Broadway, and she said, "I miss the camera." Oh, I miss the I miss knowing what my relate and and so they were coming up from it from totally different places. Um, and then I was lucky where like Tracy Letts and Lori Metcalf speaking to family dynamics, they'd known each other for thirty years, 
in Chicago because they're both part of Steppenwolf, but they never actually worked together. But they had 30 years of history. Yeah. And um, I think did you, that... But, but since Saoirse was not, how did she get to be part of that family? What did you do? Well, she was, luckily, she was in a play in New York, and I started being able to have these rehearsals, uh, the, the, these sort of casual rehearsals where they'd start building that. And Saoirse, I mean, she's as a person able to just cut through, and she's there's not a dishonest bone in her body. And she's also, I mean, she's very... She just folded straight into to, to Laurie and Tracy, but yeah, I mean, with it, like in terms of create holding a space, and and it's like I never needed Laurie to be a different actor. I knew I knew right away we we did camera tests with Laurie, which isn't it's not rehearsal. I was just having her walk around the set, but I was I wanted to look and see how it worked, and there was something just cinematic instantly of her just walking from the. The the the, uh, the washing machine over to the sink. I was like, that's a movie, and you're saying so much, and you're not doing anything. And um, so sometimes the actors aren't, you know, they they don't know that how how well they're working with the, you know, for her, she didn't know that it was already creating an alchemy that was tremendously exciting. In, did you, in the rehearsal, would you specifically be working on scenes or would you work on scenes that in fact didn't even exist in order to create something else as I see you know, did in certain casting I, situations? I would do both. I would work on, um, I would work on scenes that didn't exist. Uh, if people wanted the biographies I, I, that I had invented, I would give it to them. If they didn't want it, if it didn't help them, I'd be like, "All right, you don't want it." But I would if I would. But that was part of your homework. What? That's part of your homework. Yeah, and I would create. I created. Um, I, I know as an actor, it helped me. I created reading lists for everyone, uh, movie watching lists for everyone, playlists. Um, biography, anything that, because I think loading up with everything that you possibly can is always, it's always been helpful for me. And like, like with uh, Timothy Chalamet's character in the scene, mm. I had him watch um, My Night at Maud's um, because there's a character of a young man talking very confidently at a woman about all of his ideas. <laughs> and it's just, it just, it, to me, it's like, that is that guy. He existed then, he exists now. He's not bad, but he's just young and really certain. And, um, <laughs> and, and I, I, those things are helpful. For some people, it's not helpful, and they'll tell me um, when it's not. But it, it is... Um, you know, I want to jump yeah. to something here, because there's an amazing scene near the end where the camera literally is in Laurie Metcalf's face yeah. as she's driving from the airport around. Talk to us. How did that happen? Knowing that now maybe she was getting used to it, but you know. Well, originally, I mean, originally I had an idea. There were many things that I had. I mean, I this is the first film I directed, so you know, you, I, I, I covered, I covered myself. But there, are, there were scene ideas that I had. I was like, I want to do it in one. Like the, actually, the opening fight car scene. I wanted to do that in one. I watched the, that um, scene in Paper Moon when they're fighting in that one take, and then I'm lucky enough, I know Peter Bogdanovich a little bit, and I talked to, talked to him, and he was like, that took five days of shooting. And I was like, that's, that's, that's so much of our schedule. I can't, I can't do that. Also, it's much easier to shoot one of those scenes when a car doesn't have a top, because um, you can see more of the landscape. Um, there's great car stuff in Cleo from five to seven. Yep. Also, that car doesn't have a top. Yep. Car tops are hard. 
Um, anyway, uh, but I, um, so I had these ideas of doing these wonders and then I, I was like, okay, no, you're not going to do the whole thing like that. But I had an idea of wanting to do, I, I sort of tried to create a way. I was like, how could we get a camera off of the car and into the airport? And there was just no way on our budget with it. So I had to I had to find my way to cut it out, but I was like, I want it to go, I want you to be with it the whole time and then go in. But the drive was too long and I couldn't figure out how to do that thing. I mean, if I had, I don't know. what did you tell her? So, okay, so her, she, she is the most relentless actress. She's the most committed actress. She could do anything. She could do it 10 times. She could do it standing on her head. Anything you wanted, she could do. And I do a lot of takes. I tend to do a lot of takes, actually, because because I always like to see where actors go after they get bored with their own ideas. Um, because something interesting happens. I don't know. It's like a theme for me. I think the other side of boredom is always where the good stuff is. Mm-hmm. Because I, I think you get really excited at first. You nailed it. Everybody's happy. It's good. And then you kind of settle. And then it gets boring. And then you... And then something else comes up, and that that other side. So I think I don't know why. I think boredom is very instructive for me as a writer and as watching actors. Um, and then, so with Lori though, she said to me because she knows I do I do a lot of takes. She said she took me aside and she said I can do this twice. I, I think I can only do this twice. It's too hard. She's got kids. She she just was like. I have to drive away. Like it, I didn't. She didn't even need to explain to me why she could only do it twice. She said she could only do it twice, and then, um, I and and, but that's not that's not her saying. Here's my limitations. That's her saying, I will meet you with everything I have twice. So you have to meet me there too, and that um, and that's a very that's for I think for director an actor who can who knows themselves so well and they say this is what. I need from you, so then you can you can provide that. And she did. Yeah. Do you remember which take you used? The first one. Wow. She was just, it just was there. Yeah. Um, and she goes through it's, uh, you know, just that that anger that creates a kind of certainty, which is very dangerous. That gives way to a little bit of doubt, which then uncovers, of course, there's pain. And then once the pain takes over, then this hope of maybe I'll get back in time and then realizing it's too late. Now that's... She did all that. (laughs) That cycle that you just said, which is quite beautifully put, did you know that then? Did you know that even when you were writing that? Or... And would you, if we had looked at the script and I had asked you, you know, the question, what's the cycle going on in this, would you have said what you said now? Yeah, uh, Yeah, I mean... Seeing it, seeing Lori do it, it deepened and and changed because she also she inhabited the character in this very specific way. And this, the, in some ways the, the 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 roughness that that character has as the defense for for fear for other things that that that, that when that starts crumbling, uh, I, I couldn't have predicted how she did that, but I knew. That I always knew that scene sort of came to me wholesale of like you drive away and then you drive back and uh, in, another one question just about this did you discuss it at all or was this one of those moments both of you knew and she said I'm gonna 
I'm going to do this for you, but twice, but that's it. Or did you discuss it? We did discuss it. We did, um, I mean, we did pretty traditional, particularly me and Lori, Lori did very traditional table work, like, like you do in theater, where you sit around and every single line you talk through and you do this very, um, it's not intellectual exactly, but it is dramaturgical. It is, it is like um, a... Are you using, are you talking intention and character, essentially? Yeah, intention and character and backstory and what does this mean, you know, like, and she's very comfortable with that kind of work and she likes that kind of work. So we talked about it in that. And so, and she knew that for me, um, I never wanted, I, I wanted to be careful that the emotional climax of the film was usually an aggregate. I didn't want it to happen on screen, but more like the rush of moments all together would give you a feeling. But that moment, I was like, that is the moment on screen. It's not happening in, it's not happening in the, in the hearts and minds and the vision of the audience. It's happening for this character at this moment. But we have to earn that because I'm not doing that very many times. Most of it, I wanted things to happen for the audience that weren't happening for the characters, if that makes sense. And in that moment, I needed it all to go together. So she knew that, and so she, um, yeah, she she, she she knew what was coming. I remember she said to me, she's like, it's like hanging over me. It's like a guillotine <laughs> somewhere down the schedule. Um, but, I mean, I would do things, like, I, I mean, to speak to just, dynamics too of just on set and how that becomes its own its own ecosystem like the the, the opening scene of Saoirse and Laurie fighting in the car I scheduled that for the, the second to last day of shooting because I was like they'll be so I just had this sense of they'll be so locked into each other by that point that they will have each other's rhythm so nailed that you will feel like you're cutting into the middle of just life Got it. As it unfolds. And I just knew that no matter how much we rehearse, there's no substitute for those long days and hanging out and what that becomes. That did. Rehearsal for you? I, uh, we didn't rehearse too much, but we did have a, there, we, there was a table read where it was just me and, uh, and them. And, uh, and then we, uh, we did this thing where we, um, we, we got this house, we, we shot in Alabama. We went, we went down to, uh, got, got this beach house that was a friend of uh, Catherine Keener's who let us use it. And we, we, were, we went there, spent the night there. And the, the whole idea was we were gonna rehearse. And uh, we got there, this was, you know, the, the principal cast, maybe the family plus, plus D Daniel, actually. Um, no, no one else was out there yet. And uh, we did, we rehearsed a few scenes. Um, I would sort of, you know, it, it, was, it was kind of a, 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 a hang session. You know, it was kind of like, you know, a bunch of artists chilling, getting to know one another on one hand. And then I would, uh, you know, at some point, uh, pull a couple of the actors away into another room, um, mostly because there would be some kind of question mark in my head or uh, about, uh, uh, how this scene would work. So we did this with the hypnosis scene um, once. Uh, I took Catherine and Daniel and we, uh, we went into another room and uh, Catherine was there first. Daniel comes in and Catherine just starts, you know, Daniel just goes, 
Daniel just goes, hey, all right, so what, what, what are we going to, you know, what's, what's the deal? And, and Catherine goes, I, I didn't realize you were English. And he's, he's a, oh, right, okay, of course, of course. Um, yeah, no, I'm not, I'm just, um, and so they started improvising, and it was like this kind of interesting dynamic because, uh, of course, it was, you know, the, the, much like the hypnosis, it had already begun, mm -hmm. and he didn't realize it. So we did that once and it was beautiful and he ended up getting to this wonderful place and was like, great, got it. Let's not do any more. That's pure, let's remember everything that happened here. With uh, Rose and Chris, we, we did a couple of scenes. That was important to, you know, if, if the audience didn't buy that relationship, wasn't rooting for that relationship, the whole thing topples over. So we really found what their connection was. And was, how did you do that? Uh, we, we, I mean, we talked about it. We did the scenes a couple of times, and um, I, you know, I think the first couple of times we did did the scenes, I was feeling like I wasn't believing they were in love, mm -hmm. and uh, I, at, at some point. You know, what, the, the moments that worked were when there was a comedic moment, when somebody said something funny and the other one laughed. And so that was the thing was like, that's it. You guys are in love because you share a sense of humor. And that's, that's a love story everybody can relate to. Yeah. You know, you can be from two different worlds, you can be, um, you know, whatever. If, if you are in love with, you know, how somebody makes you laugh, then it, it reminds us of our love and our love of our, so we focused on that. And I even, we even uh, you know, started writing um, new moments to make, make sure that that side of their relationship was fleshed out. Um, you know, as, as far as the writing process to me, it's, it's, so, it's wonderful to d direct something that I know so well because uh, be, just because, yeah, you know, you, and, and for me, by the way, it's the, the words are important, but the ideas are what's really crucial. And there are many, many words, many lines that could be replaced with other versions of lines that can get us to the same ideas. Mm -hmm. But uh, there are, you know, there are also certain things that and no. fascinating to hear that you discovered, the three of you discovered in rehearsal how to, in fact, connect the people because you saw what the problem was. Exactly. Exactly. So, so important. And, and uh, so um, a lot of that little, that experience, that experiment of taking the, the cast to this house um, actually brought about much less actual rehearsal than I thought it would. And... I sat back, I, I ended up really watching a lot, a lot more how they actually interacted. And that was, you know, I, I, there were times where I was like, oh my God, what am I, I'm like wasting our time. Okay, well people are getting to know one another and then, but then you'd look and you'd see, wait a second, okay. Bradley Whitford and Allison Williams are totally bonding over musical theater over there. And Catherine Keener and Caleb Landry Jones like keep popping out to smoke cigarettes and like, you know, weirdly flirt with each other or something. <laughs> you know, and you're like, okay, there's a dynamic here that is not in my script, but this, I, I learned you don't fight the dynamic. Mm -hmm. 
Um, you know, don't you don't have to make it that that's you don't have to write that into the script. But what I, I feel like though that depth is felt in the script, um, I, I I feel like you there. There is a weird incestuous chemistry between Catherine and and Bradley. and and Caleb yeah. in the in the thing. Um, there uh, there is a, a father daughter bond between Dean and and uh, Rose uh, in, in the piece. Yeah. So a lot of and so that was the the first stage of it. Very much for me was like seeing and and the lines start to blur between the dynamic of the, the, the performers and the dynamic of the characters. And there are times when, um, you know, there's, a, there's even a, some sort of conflict that feels like, a, uh-oh, this is, you know, these two people aren't agreeing on how this scene should be played or whatnot, and it's, it can be uncomfortable, and it can be awkward. Um, but I, I learned to not to try and solve that 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 was life giving you the unwritables mm -hmm. in, in a way. Nicely put. And, and, and then we would also, in the, on the actual day, we would also rehearse and I would continue to find things that just didn't feel natural or it felt like we had to talk about them all the way up to um, shooting. I mean, I'm, I, 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 f I felt that the, the dynamic what just wasn't was never done, and and even into the editing bay, um, you know if if I could if I could go back and and do more, there would probably be more revelations uh, that I, I uh, that I could find. So it's for me it's it's just a con, a cons, an ev consistently evolving process until yes, you is. literally just can't you know right is the right word evolving. Chris, for you rehearsal, and did you have some on this movie? I mean, it's been different for me on every film. I think you come into filmmaking, certainly as a non-actor, you come in with a quite childish idea of what rehearsal is. The idea that it's, people need to say the lines again and again and again to know what to do. Or, and the longer you work in it, the more you realize it's just about intention. And it's just about making sure that everybody understands what the intention of the line is, and what the intention of the scene is. So my, what I've sort of evolved over time to try and just, give the actors whatever they're comfortable doing. So don't rehearse for me anymore, or just rehearse for them. That is to say, we'll book a meeting, we'll sit down one-on-one -on -one or two-on-one, -on or you know, whatever combinations we need, and just talk about the scene. And I'll get them to read the scene just so I can stop and say, well, this is what this is about, this is what that's about. Um, and what I find is the actor then feels free to either rehearse more fully and perform it and stand up and walk around or whatever, or it just stays at that level of, okay, we'll just talk about what's the intention behind the words. And that's more or less my sort of default process at this point. And I've done films where we had a lot of time to rehearse, we had months, and I've done films where we couldn't do any rehearsal and we had to do it on the day as we, as we went. The difficulty with that approach on Dunkirk is there are very few words to play with. And that really only works for words. And so there isn't really much point in talking about when the explosions go off, how are you going to feel or whatever? It's like, you'll, you'll figure that out when you get there. Um, but the exception was the, the scenes on the Moonstone, the, the small yacht um, led by Mark Rylance. And, and Mark is a brilliant, brilliant actor who comes to the world of theatre. He's one of the legendary British theatre actors and I'd wanted to work with him for decades. And he 
really pushed me to a process that I thought was fantastic of getting onto the boat, really just over a long day with the kids who really hadn't done a lot of acting before, and Killian Murphy who had, and I'd worked with before, and was very comfortable with. Um, and what Mark really wanted to do was fill in the blanks. The script was written with all of the cross cuts between the timelines, and so it's always, there's always elision. And he wanted to explore with the other actors, okay, what would we be doing in between? What would have happened in the hours between this scene and this scene? And so we spent a day on the boat just doing that and just, just fleshing out all of that. And I think it was a very, very valuable process. It also told me that the, the physicality of the boat was going to be everything in those scenes. So there wasn't really any point in rehearsing in any other way. So in the end, what we wound up doing on the shoot, because we shot for about three weeks on this boat, it was a very small crew stuffed in, and, uh, shooting on the open water and to get to a clear horizon, you know, we had to motor out 45 minutes or an hour every morning on the boat. And so what we would do is we would rehearse the scenes as we went and we would just rehearse and Hoyter would watch and rehearse, we would talk about it and, and just gradually we'd sort of look up and say, okay, we've lost sight of land now, we might as well just shoot the next one and, and just sort of ease into it that way. And that, that allowed it to be quite spontaneous and quite intimate. It's one of the more intimate films that section of the film that, that I've made, actually. I know you've mentioned there's a wonderful moment, in fact, actually we see it here, when the boy says to Gillian, the kid's okay, which is not, George is dead. Mm -hmm. And there's an exchange between father and son. Mm. Did you discover that in this process that you're just talking about as you were going out there? <coughs> well, <coughs> originally discovered it in conversations with Mark about how I'd written the script because I had omitted that moment. I had just skipped over it. And this is what I've always found wonderful about working with actors and bringing them on. And I don't, like, you know, Gamer, I don't write biographies for them. I don't, I kind of want them to do that. I sort of want them to become an expert on their character and tell me. And if it contradicts something I'm feeling about, you know, how, that, how that's gonna affect the story, then we'll, we'll get into it over that. But broadly speaking, I have my own set of answers and I'll answer, I need to be able to answer any question they ask. Um, but what Mark was doing in that moment was saying, you haven't shown the interaction of my character with my son, you know, what do I say about it? And I literally hadn't done it because my focus had been on a different character while I was writing the script and as I was imagining shooting it. And of course, it becomes a very, very important moment and that's, the beauty of working with really smart actors of tremendous experience who understand the whole thing you're trying to do, their character and the whole thing you're trying to do. And so you, you effectively surround yourself with experts on each character and they're able to, to flesh it out and kind of add to what you're doing. And so that moment came about as a result originally of him pointing out a gap in the script and then on the boat, you know, sailing out to shoot it, just talking about, okay, well, what would it be and how would that work? And, and in the end it became, and this is very often the case, it was interesting when Martin was talking about not letting everybody change his lines, which I said, good luck with that with some of the actors I've worked with. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's an admirable position, but what, what I found over the years is quite often I just sort of let, take, throw the gauntlet down and say, fine, you figure out a different way to say it. And as long as we all understand what's there to be said, the actor's either gonna improve on what you've done or after a while, they're gonna come back around to, to the way you've originally got it. And so that, that moment, for example, he doesn't say anything, but it was very important to have the communication there. And so it wasn't really about, and this is the difference, but I mean, screenplays are just 
starting points. They're just skeletons of what the film's going to be. And there are things they're not very good at getting across. And looks between people are, are one of them. And we've all sat there and typed in, you know, he looks meaningfully or looks at it. You know, it doesn't mean, there's nothing there. You know, you have to, you have to get there. And the actors will feel something and make you feel something. We hope you enjoyed listening to part two of this exclusive discussion. You can watch the full video of the Feature Film Symposium on our website at dga.org events. And be sure to download next week's episode, where our five Feature Film nominees will finish their conversation. Past episodes of The Director's Cut are available wherever you listen to podcasts. And be sure to click subscribe so you won't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the podcast, please like, share, and leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America. Music is by Dan Wally.